is Your Working Life, a podcast show that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a career and executive coach. And on today's show, I welcome Charlie Dupree. Charlie is a priest in the Episcopal Church who will share his wisdom about how busy people can incorporate meditation in their lives to improve mental and physical wellness. Charlie, welcome to the show. I'm really excited for you to be with me today. Thanks. Good to be here. Okay, so let's dive right in because I will tell you, uh, your book really, really resonated with me because I am one of those busy people who also feels the need to be productive. So I want to start from the beginning. How did you start regularly practicing meditation? I started because I realized that something needed to change in my life. And I think that is the, the, the way any sort of meditation practice needs to begin with that opening. Uh, I remember sitting in my bathtub one day and uh, thinking, oh, I've given everything I am and everything I have to my job. And that didn't sound right to me. Um, it didn't It didn't resonate in the same way that it once did. And, and I realized that if I'm given everything I have at my job, that means I don't have anything to give to my spouse. I don't have anything left to give to my creative life. I don't have anything left to give to my friends and my family and to myself. And that was a, a real light bulb moment for me. And I knew that something needed to change. And I knew that I needed to uh, figure out a way to, to just calm down and, and quit over-functioning. I love that word or that phrase, over-functioning. And Charlie, we are kindred spirits mm-hmm. in that because mm-hmm. I am one of those people that has a difficult time being idle, even being calm. I've got that monkey chatter going on in my brain. So uh, did you work up to meditation? Is it something that you built upon incrementally or were you able to let it go and be in the moment pretty quickly? It's a hard thing to do. I mean, if, if you're uh, accustomed, and we all are, to just moving, moving, moving all of the time, and for many of us, that's the way we were raised. Mm-hmm. I remember growing up on a farm. If I sat still, my father would find me and put me in a field. Wow, in put you to work. The, yeah, he'd put, me, he'd put me to work. So I, I just remember still when I hear people approach, I kind of jump up and look like I'm busy and doing something. But uh, I started meditating um, with an app. Oh, my gosh. Which one was it? Yeah, I think it's, it's called My Headspace. Okay. And okay. It's, it's very popular, and it's kind of all over the place. And uh, what it does is it, it allows you to enter into it gradually with 10-minute sessions. And so I just started uh, in 10-minute increments every day. And, it, in, and the, the guy's name is Andy. He makes it very easy. And, um, and it just took. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and it gradually increased over time. And this was five years ago. That's awesome. And so over the course of that five years, it, it's kind of taken on a different life and taken on different directions. But that's how I started. I love the bit by bit approach. It reminds me of, of training for a marathon, you know, for the, the non-runner or the non-competitive runner, you add mileage incrementally and yeah. work up to your goal. You wrote something so beautiful in the book that really resonated with me. Your meditation practice, the goal of your practice, is to learn how to live a life that is calm, flexible, and filled with good humor, a life that has space for meaningful relationships and interest. Has this given you more space? A lot of more space, yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, space allows us to be flexible. Mm -hmm. Um, That I remember saying to people, and they would always say, what do you mean by space? And um, you can't see me, but my, my 
fists are clenched. And that's the way my life felt and my working life felt. And there was no space in yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and I just wanted a little more space around everything that I, that I did, my interactions with people, the way I looked at life, uh, so that I could be flexible and more resilient and have kind of a, a spring back ability yeah. that I didn't have before I started meditating. Anything would knock me down and I couldn't get back up. So there's a recovery, a resilience that empowered you uh, to be, as you said, more the spring back, right? Yeah, yeah. That's really cool. The resilience is important. And I work in a, in a nonprofit, nonprofit environment, and people just need me yeah. all the time. And yeah. they're pulling at me all the time. Um, and I love them all. Yeah. I do. Um, but sometimes it can be a painful environment, and you can hear honesty that you're not quite ready for. And so... Again, the the idea of being able to to, to land on your feet mm-hmm. and realize that um, other people might be having a bad day, mm-hmm. that they may be coming from a place that's mm-hmm. that's painful and hurting, yeah. and meditation allows you to create that space so that I'm not reacting all the time. Instead, I have the flexibility to respond in a way that's helpful. Charlie, let's talk about that because you are an Episcopal priest, so a very unique career, as you said, where you're literally on, and, and you, you've got to be probably the most incredible active listener and empathetic person, and you, I imagine, absorb a lot of your congregation's joys and fears and, you know, hopes and dreams, but also the highs and the lows. So how has meditation found a way into not only your career, but, but your personal religious practice? It allows me to be more comfortable with silence. You know, those silences in conversations, the silences in our own homes or in our own uh, kind of personal space. Mm -hmm. Uh, That that used to be really uncomfortable for me. And uh, to be able to listen well means to allow for that distance to exist so that people can kind of hear themselves and then hear themselves over again. Mm. Um, And... I know that meditation practice allows me to be comfortable with silence. And whenever there's silence, there's opportunity to hear in a different way. And, and for me, that means to, to hear God and to, mm. to be able to uh, engage in a conversation and remembering that conversation is two-way. It's not just talking. It's listening. That's incredible. So I can imagine that we've got millions of people listening around the world, and they're saying, Yeah, I get it. Being mindful is very important. I understand intellectually how important meditation is, not only for my my mental wellness, but my outlook on life. How does the crazy person like me that has the monkey chatter get started? What's my first step? The first step is to realize that there are some things in your life that that you'd like to change. There are some patterns in the way you think. There are some patterns in the way that your brain works Mm -hmm. and the way that your mind works that you'd like to be different. Meditation for me means training our mind to um, get into a different groove. You know, we grow up telling ourselves these stories about ourselves. Mm. We need to do more. We we need to be more. We need to be better. Um, I beat myself up all the time, so there's this layering effect that's always going on. And, um, and that is not helpful. So you've got to find that space where I'd like, when you say to yourself, I'd like for this to change. And then you simply need to set aside the time to do it. Mm-hmm. For me, if I don't meditate in the morning, I probably won't do it. So that really starts your day. Yeah, it starts my day. I wake up. I have one half a cup of coffee. Okay. Because that just kind of, you know, 
gets me a little bit more awake. <laughs> and then, um, and usually when I'm having that cup of coffee, I'm sitting and staring straight ahead. And then I will uh, move into the meditation practice that that I feel that I need that day. So it, it's in the morning. And, and you can do it on the road. I mean, when you're traveling, you, you definitely have a routine down. Yes. Yes, I do. And on my better days, I meditate at night so that it kind of uh, calms the chatter down and, and it helps me sleep better. But yeah, I can definitely tell if I if I don't uh, meditate, just like I can tell if I don't exercise. Yeah, I no. get jittery, I get antsy, and um, I, I become a lot more uh, reactive. So you're you're listening to your body mm-hmm. very differently. Yeah. So let's talk about stress because millions of people around the world, myself included, succumb to stress. Uh, sometimes often, sometimes less frequently, but it's a reality of life. And although some stress can be good with the fight-or-flight syndrome Mm -hmm. concept, you talk in the book about how um, change your attitude about stress or whatever the negative situation isn't forever. This is the moment. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, a big concept in meditation is the idea of impermanence and the idea that things aren't there forever. And again, I am notorious for beating myself up with words like always and forever and, oh, this is going to last. This is this is never going to end. <laughs> um, but the, I can relate. I'm, but, I'm giggling because I'm right there with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. But it's not. And, if, and, and the beauty of, of the idea of impermanence is that, you know, I, I feel kind of crappy today. But that's not going to last forever. And if we allow ourselves to just... Feel crappy. Feel crappy. Yeah. yeah. Don't resist that. Yeah. Feel crappy and then know that it's not going to last forever and tomorrow you're going to wake up and you might feel a different mm-hmm. way. Yeah. I think there's something said for experience, experiencing the crappy feeling with all of your senses to appreciate it for what it is and then appreciate it when it's gone. Yeah. And that the idea of acceptance, you know, if we can continue in that theme, is saying uh, we spend a lot of time pushing back against those crappy mm-hmm. feelings like mm-hmm. I feel bad. Why do I feel bad? I feel bad for feeling bad. Mm-hmm. I always feel bad. So we just keep layering <laughs> right. and layering and layering. Right. And, and uh, you know, feeling bad is bad enough. Mm-hmm. We don't need to keep adding all of these layers. Well, you talk really candidly in the book about messing up and also beating yourself up. And I, I so appreciate your your candor. It's it's refreshing. And you really believe in doing no harm and being less punitive to ourselves. So how did you get to that space? I just heard the word one day, ahimsa. I was doing yoga. And, um, you know, when you're on the yoga mat, I'm a fairly competitive person. <laughs> Are you a competitive <laughs> yoga practitioner, Charlie? Well, I'm kind of competitive at anything <laughs> I do. And so, you know, I'm on the yoga mat and I see all these people able to do, you know, touch their toes and, you know. Yoga envy. Bend, just, yeah. And, and um, you know, but we have that, that real estate in the yoga class and this is my world and this is my space. And so um, I one day heard a yoga instructor say uh, we practice ahimsa in here, which is to, to do no harm to others, but to do no harm to yourself. And when you compare yourself to others, you're doing harm to yourself. And I think for working professionals, that's really a big deal these days Mm -hmm. because there's so much opportunity to put yourself out there and to see what other people are doing. Social media just taunts us all the time with what other people are doing. And so when you think about do no harm to yourself, it means don't, don't compare yourself to others. You be you, let other people be them themselves. And, um, 
that's just the way that we take care of ourselves. I like that. Swim in your own lane and don't have yoga envy for the person next to you, right, Mm -hmm, who can mm -hmm. wrap their leg around their neck. Wish them well. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So, Charlie, one more thing as we wrap up. You talked about being addicted to productivity, and I can truly relate to that. Have you gotten better, or is that still a, a challenge for you? I have to make a distinction because I I am an artist. I am a creative person. I'm a musician and I'm a a visual artist and I I like to produce. Yeah. I like to produce. Um, And that's another area of my life where if I feel like if if I can get kind of constipated creatively Mm -hmm. if I don't Mm -hmm. engage in creative activity. Um, I don't know that I'm better at it, but it doesn't control my life Mm -hmm. the way it used to. And it doesn't um, it doesn't make me feel bad if if I'm not as productive as other people. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always somebody out there putting out another book, or getting into an art show, right. or putting out another podcast. You yeah. know, whatever. Um, so I know that productivity is a part of my life, but I try not to let it control me in the ways that it used to to drive me. Love that. Love that. Good for you. So, Charlie, let's dive a little deeper into what actually happens during meditation. I will say to you very candidly that I have trouble getting quiet and really thinking of nothing. And you were sharing with me that it's okay to not absolutely think of nothing. So tell me about what that really is. Yeah, getting quiet is a key, the key phrase there. I'm, I'm glad you used that because it doesn't mean that we can f- magically find some switch and just turn, turn off our thoughts. Our thoughts are always going to be there. Our brain is designed to work 24-7, so um, even when we're asleep. So our thoughts are going to come and go. The idea, though, behind meditation and what's helped me is the idea of not chasing after those mm-hmm. thoughts. And again, this this is on the, the app as well. And a, a primary piece of instruction regarding meditation. So we just are aware that the thoughts are there and that they're going to come and go. And so we, we don't try to stop them because that will make it a very frustrating experience. So if we approach meditation with the idea that we're going to stop all thought, um, that may not be the most productive approach. Well, thank you. You just gave me (laughs) tremendous permission to think about it differently. So I have to tell you something that you may chuckle about. I've done some reading on meditation, and I read uh, an interesting book by Sharon Salzberg, who has been practicing for many, many years. And she wrote a book, and she said, you know, you don't have to sit in the lotus position. She said you can have a walk meditation, if that's meaningful to you, and that gives you a way to experience and and listen differently. Do you always have the same posture when you Um, meditate? I do. What's your style? My morning meditation is I I sit like this in a half lotus position, Mm -hmm. and it allows me to sit up straighter. Good for you. Because I'm kind of a tall guy, and um, it just kind of supports me differently. Um, But I like the idea of walking meditation because some people literally um, find it kind of painful to sit. So Mm -hmm. the idea of walking meditation is wonderful. And, And anything that allows us to catch up with ourselves. You know, just on the way over here, I breathed in, and I became aware of my body, yeah. and I breathed out, and I smiled. And that can be enough just to bring you back to yourself. Sometimes that's all we need in a, in a busy day to remind us that, that we're okay mm-hmm. and that we're going to make it through to 5 o'clock. So let's talk about the beginner's mind. You, you refer to this in the book a lot and about the power of curiosity and also thinking in a very simplistic way, almost like a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just being observant. I, I think as an artist, we are taught to learn how to see. 
A lot of people say, oh, I can't draw or I can't paint. But um, artists just learn how to see differently. And that's the, the case with any, any artist, uh, a writer. We learn how to see things differently. So meditators do the same thing. You learn how to be curious and observant of the, of the smaller things that might go unnoticed. And in that in itself is a grabbing of the moment, of, of being in the moment and not being uh, a dozen steps ahead. So, Charlie, who's the ideal reader? Who's the ideal audience for this incredible new book? I think it's, well, it was geared toward priests because I know a number of priests who tend to, to overfunction and are really trying to, to do their best to make everybody happy. So read the book. Occupational hazard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I would say it's for anybody who wants to be honest about yeah. um, how challenging it can be to be a creative person or to be a, a kind person. I tried to name a few things on people's behalf that they may be afraid to name. Um, I tried to put those those elephants in the middle of the room. Yeah. Well, I will tell you, as a non-priest, I found it incredibly empowering and rewarding, and I have shared it with many of my friends and my husband, I might add. So I think it has a broad and diverse audience, and Thank I wish you. you great success. Thanks. Your phenomenal book is called Practice in Perfection, A Priest's Journey Through Meditation, Messing Up, and Ministry. And it's available on Amazon, so I do hope all of our listeners will check it out. And I want to share that if you like the show, check us out on iTunes or SoundCloud, and even better, leave a review and let us know what career-related questions you have so we can address them on a future show. I'm available on Twitter at C. Dowd Higgins, or you can send me an email at caroline at carolinedowdhiggins.com. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. Thanks so much for listening. 